This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Right, mic check, mic check, one, two, one, two. Can I have people in the studio confirming whether I can be heard? Podbean tried to beat me today. Podbean has tried it. If you can hear me, please just do a quick message in the chat so I know I'm not. So there we go. Thank you, Seema. So I know I'm not just talking to myself. Wow. If you saw the scramble, <laughs> I was like, right, I went into focus mode. I feel like I went into focus mode. I was like, right, I know what to do in this situation. Um, so then, yeah, the whole time just slowed down. During the films, they go, and everything slows down. And all around me, everyone was moving really quickly, but I was just in the zone working out, right, what do I do? I don't know. I've, I've tweeted out numerous links now. I don't really know. I've scheduled a couple. There we go. Ben's calling back in. Perfect. I tweeted out links. I don't know if the links are still going to work. I don't know what's going on, to be honest. But um, we'll go. Ben, we're back. <laughs> Hi, Kelly. Yeah, that, that was interesting. Yeah, it was, uh, sort of, yeah, sort of like uh, Krypton factor to begin in, with, you know? Little, indeed. Sort of I, don't, I don't know what happened of, there. Uh, yeah, test of I IT skills, I guess, from your side. Indeed. I just had to. So this is, so before I gather, I'm assuming the link the old link will now not work. So that's a shame. So I scheduled a few tweets um, that will have the old link in it, but now I'm not going to have the old link. Well, it's all, it's all well and good. This will still be published and people will be able to listen back. They'll miss the first bit, which will mean um, I'll do a quick intro now because this recording that will go out will just start really randomly. <laughs> it will start really, it will start as if it will start with me talking to myself going, Hello, anyone uh, Anyone there? <laughs> Can anyone hear me? That's how it's going to start. So I need to do it really quickly. Guys, this is Teachers Talk Radio. This is a Sunday lunch show. We've got mental health focus today, and I'm joined by Dr. Ben Hibbert, who is an educational psychologist and the director of Schools Educutic Solutions. We'll be talking about mental health in the schools and what support is on offer for not, not only students, not only staff, but also parents as well. Because I'm conscious of time, Ben, we've lost a couple of minutes because of the tech issues. Can you just give, me, give the listeners and my myself a quick breakdown of what first of all what an educational psychologist does and also mm. um schools for the background of schools educutic solutions as well please just to give a bit of context absolutely okay hi Khalil and uh, hi, hi all the listeners here as well so I'm delighted to be on the show today um to, to talk about mental health and well-being is it's kind of uh it's, it's kind of grown to be a, a specialism and a passion of mine um really ever since uh, I, I started well I set foot in the mental health fold and, the, and sort of uh, the world of, of mental health work back in 2007 I started at the Priory Hospital in Roehampton um, as an assistant psychologist there within the child and adolescent unit as a newly formed child and adolescent unit um, where we were sort of key working with um, you know children and young people from 12 to 17 with a variety of mental health issues so it's more sort of clinical work that I started my career doing um, you know it's lots of clinical notes and liaising with CAMs um, or EWOMs as they're, they're called in, in uh, Essex I think as well um, and yeah, so lots of lots of key work we saw, lots of self harm, um, lots of suicidal ideation, um, you know, psychosis. First, second episode, psychosis, and was around sort of medications treated, treatable for um, you know, used to treat mental health conditions in in children and young people. So, so to have that grounding, um, just to give you a very brief sort of uh, flavour of, of my my background. I know that was one one of the questions you asked, Khalil, but just to sort of set the scene a little bit, I I then worked. Um, in mind um, the mental health charity mind for a year um, 
where I was in the, the sort of adult community, understanding a little bit more about how mental health, um, you know, uh, sort of previous mental health individuals reintegrate within sort of the community and the challenges that are faced there. Um, and then finally worked within uh, the Princess Royal Trust for Carers. So I worked in um, in City and Hackney and Hammersmith and Fulham carer centres, so supporting carers of those with mental health conditions. So it's kind of given me a bit of a foundational understanding of what it's like for parents of children and young people, um, you know, who have either diagnosed or undiagnosed mental health conditions, um, or you know, things like um, generalized anxiety disorder, GAD, or um, you know, depression, the onset of depression within within schools, which obviously, as you, you sort of touched upon during COVID and, and the lockdown period, has really sort of um, you know, we've seen a, a, an increase certainly in children and young people within schools with, with these kind of um, sort of conditions, um, you know, without thinking, um, you know, let's follow the medical model and, and diagnose per se. We don't want to be um, sort of pathological about the way that we think about mental health all the time because sometimes we can, we can talk through emotions and issues um, and normalise these things within schools so that it, it doesn't uh, exacerbate the, the effects. But mm. um, in terms of, sorry, I'll just get back on track and, and answer the, the questions that you asked. So in terms of uh, what an educational psychologist does, um, I've been in, in EP, an educational psychologist, for six years now. Um, and we um, work with, so we kind of like, um, you know, we, we slot in as, as multi-professionals um, in a sense. So the majority of our work is, is done around statutory work. So if a child or young person has um, what used to be called a statement and now has an education, health and care plan. So it's a, it's a fairly common acronym. I think that lots of teachers see an EHCP. Um, in uh, in all schools is uh, sort of usually attached to funding um, for a child with special educational needs. So the majority of the time we are writing, we're doing sort of observations, doing some assessment that can be cognitive assessment to look at, um, you know, any any learning difficulties that a child may be having, um, or it may be uh, around sort of social, emotional, mental health, SEMH, um, is another category of the code of practice from the Department of Education that we write under. So, and that's very closely linked to, um, you know, mental health and wellbeing we're talking about today. Um, and the other sort of categories are communication and interaction um, and, um, sensory or physical needs. So they're, they're the kind of the four main uh, sort of subheadings that we we write under. So I mean, a bulk the bulk of our work is involved in um, sort of collecting advice and, and really formulating and hypothesising about what is happening for a child. Um, you know, certainly if we're seeing challenging behaviours within school, um, you know, that may be linked to mental health or well-being, we'll sort of look to unpick that a little bit more and think about you know the, the more holistic factors around a child or young person like. Um, you know, are there potential learning difficulties that are, are resulting in um, more challenging behaviours or mm -hmm. does the child have difficulty with language and communication and is that becoming a frustration point? And therefore, we're, we're seeing uh, this, this presentation of challenging behaviours or, or perhaps the complete opposite, you know, more more acquiescent, meek behaviours of, of a child sort of, um, you know, wanting to, to be quieter and, and spend the time at the back of the classroom and not be noticed. So mm. it's very easy um, to miss those children and young people when 
um, you know, we're looking at a, a classroom of 30, 31, 32 children. So, no, so the majority of our work is, is sort of done around um, the statutory side of things. Um, but where, where I work in London and London, London Borough at the moment, I'm lucky to, um, to involve myself in other projects. Like um, I'm now specialising in speech, speech language communication um, with a particular hub that's been put together with occupational therapists and um, specialist teachers. Um, but essentially, um, when it boils down to it, we are professionals that go into schools, you know, um, nurseries, primary and secondary schools um, to help staff and parents, um, but as, as well as, you know, obviously seeing the children and young people themselves with things like learning difficulties. Um, you know, if there are emotional difficulties that that child is having, trying to connect the dots between what might be, um, you know, as yet unseen uh, or unexplored as to what might, um, you know, be the, the sort of the, the, the nebula, the cause of, of some of the issues. Um, and in mm, terms so, of sorry, that, sorry, just interrupt. Sorry, sorry, no, no, it's all right. Please, please. Only reason I'm saying no because we've had this is we've got some questions in the. In the, and I've worked actually quite closely with a few educational psychologists with some of Hello. our um, key students. Are they, can you hear me? Oh, sorry. Yes, you, you Hello? cut out for one second. Yep. There we go. I can right, hear perfect. you. Perfect. No, I was saying I've worked. No, I was going to say I've worked with some educational psychologists in my role, um, and they they definitely give um, very very useful insight into really understanding some of the more some some of the more what we'd call in school terms some of the more challenging characters for whatever reason, but seeing an external an external person's point of view who doesn't know, um, who sometimes when you don't know the child as much, it's, that perspective is very useful um, compared to the the kind of the teacher's perspective when we do know the child so well. It's nice to hear from an educational specialist mm -hmm. external as well. And we've got a question in here, which I did want to speak about as well, because I think COVID, my question essentially to you, I think I spent, I emailed you as well, and, and Sobia said a very similar thing about COVID and lockdown. Is it, has it been, has in your experience, seeing as you've worked in mental health for years, 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 way before COVID was even a thing, um, has the lockdown and COVID shone a light on what was ever present or mm. has it made it, has it actually exacerbated the issue from where, from your standpoint? And I know that's three questions. And the third question is from Sobia. Do you, she's asking, do you think schools have dealt with the lockdown and the trauma properly? So question number one is, has it just has COVID just shone a light on what was already ever present, or has it exacerbated it? And the follow up is, in from what you're seeing from schools, are schools actually dealing with the fallout of all this properly? In your opinion, mm, I think um, absolutely. In, in, in relation to in response to the first two questions, I think absolutely. I think it, you know, COVID and the lockdown period has certainly shone a light on on an existing issue with, with mental health. I think the government have sort of been slowly growing accustomed to the fact that there isn't, a, you know, a, a huge amount of funding required to support these kind of uh, issues within schools. Um, I think because, you know, one of the key reasons is that, you know, children and young people spend a majority of their time, you know, a good chunk, I don't know what percentages of those, probably around 30 or 40% of their time in schools. So mm. schools become this, um, you know, uh, an environment where they're surrounded by teachers who know them and see them on a regular basis and therefore are able to be that referral point, essentially, for, um, you know, when when picking up on mental health or well-being issues. So, um, so I think it certainly has shone a light on it. I think there are certainly, you know, some situations where it has exacerbated um, the issue in, in terms of, um, you know, the, obviously lockdown causing... 
um, you know, certainly in students that are, um, you know, perhaps have sort of anxieties or um, phobias around, um, you know, being in confined spaces or, um, you know, not being able to to socialize or get the continue the connections these these um, um, you know relationships that they've formed within schools and, and continue those relationships if they're sort of cut off um, you know this can it can be detrimental to, to a lot of students a lot of children and young people um, in in terms of the question that uh, Sabia asked in terms of uh, schools dealing with lockdown and trauma properly it's quite interesting that, that Sabia mentions the word trauma we um in the local authority where i work uh, is enfield but i'm sort of telling people we're we're um you know starting out with a trauma informed practice training across all services within the the, the local authority what does that mean um, for listeners i'm just to, just to interrupt but tra- i keep seeing trauma informed practice everywhere and what would that mm. what does that mean for someone who's not in the who's not a mental health expert or involved in it if they see what does trauma informed practice mean I think one of the most sort of um, simplified ways I can explain it is um, when we're looking at children or young people and their behaviour within school, often, um, you know, I've done it in the past um, and it's very easy for sort of teachers to do with a class of 30, 31, 32 children is to look at that behaviour and and see it superficially as a function of, um, you know, getting out of a lesson or distracting the teacher or um, not getting on with their task in hand. I think if we can change our mindset as um, as professionals and, and practitioners and look underneath that, it's almost like an iceberg. We, um, as professionals, will see sort of 10% of behaviours poking out above the surface of the water when we when we were in um, in schools. The other 90% is what we're kind of interested in, that, that bulk of the iceberg underneath the water. And we, we need to be thinking about, you know, what is it in school that has made that child feel unsafe? I think that if we ask ourselves that question, I think that relates to trauma-informed practice almost directly. And, and we, we start to think about safety, security, positive attachments as well. T- attachment is, is sort of key to trauma-informed practice and creating an environment at school where all children and young people feel safe and secure. And we, if, we, if we lay that as a foundation for our children and young people in, in school, we feel as professionals that the learning and the relationships and the communication will follow. It, it sort of goes without saying that there is, um, you know, a lot to, to blossom um, and, um, you know, a lot of fruit to be gained from, from laying the foundation of trauma-informed practice. And that's mm-hmm. what, just to sort of add on, uh, the company that I, I'm, I'm director of, Schools Educutic Solutions, you were right in, in, in what you said I heard earlier in terms of the, the fusion of the word educutic. That's kind of... we. My, my co-director Mike actually patented that word about five years ago and we really wanted to bring that element of therapeutic or ther- therapy into schools um, from a well-being perspective way before the government has started thinking about you know, mental health support teams in schools or um, you know senior mental health leads are now being trained in schools. We sort of thought about this idea about five or six years ago because we were seeing such a need for support for low to mid-level mental health conditions within within schools um and as as you probably know Khalil, from being a dsl and you know your work in school the cams waiting lists are, are growing constantly growing um so we they, they to, never they never end ben the cows waiting list they never end at all no exactly yeah it's yeah, crazy sort of you know the thresholds keeps kind of rising doesn't it it's, mm. 
it's kind of, uh, you know, you almost have to write suicidal ideations or this child is suicidal to be able to sort of access CAMS in a lot of local authorities now. And and that's something's gone wrong in the process there, I yeah. think, um, in terms of raising the, the threshold for, for CAMS criteria. How much um, is funded, but, in your opinion? How much is funded or lack funded? thereof is the, as a root cause of what we're facing at the moment? Because I know when, yeah. when COVID was going on, was still going on but when it was in it when when we were t- when we were, when kids were returning from lockdown and those i can't remember my memory of the news is poor but they were talking a lot about government putting money into xyz i remember being on twitter in and everyone else was talking about the same thing right put money into mental health support mm. please everyone was calling for this because we on the ground could see that the main thing we were focused the kids wanted to be back in the building they loved being back in the building but we just saw mental health just it skyrocketed and it was just schools referring for a refer- not even schools feeling like they just need to refer because if you don't refer then it's going to look bad on us knowing full well that cams are going to look at it and say sorry it doesn't meet our threshold you're going to have to deal with it in 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 school how much of that ben is down to funding or lack thereof do you believe i think i think you're right absolutely it's it's um you know it's been a long time coming and um it's only now that the government have you know recently promised i think 79 million which you know towards sort of um you know training up senior mental health leaders within schools or mental health support teams or that in in school mental health support which probably is ultimately going to be you know asking senco's to do yet another role yeah i was going to uh, so is that the plan to to just what to upskill well it's not even upskill to just to what is it is kind of upskilling but teachers Mm. are already so is is a plan to train up in teachers are already in school to just have more of a to more to be more well to become pseudo or quasi quasi i never had to pronounce that word quasi i'm gonna quasi quasi counselors yeah yeah. i don't know i've always changed and flitted between how i how i pronounce it but that is that the plan is that the plan to just train us instead i think i think well i think that's um that's the government looking at uh you know doing their usual sort of audits and and looking at how to how to address the problem you know to I'm skeptical about, you know, whether it's a box ticking exercise or whether it is, you know, it's actually going to make a difference. And there is feedback, you know, going back to the right kind of, um, you know, sort of areas of the government that will, that will say, yes, you know, we have we've, we've funded um, a mental health support team within schools and a senior mental health lead within schools. And now this, you know, there's a lot more sort of mental health conditions that you know being being picked up early you know that is mm. that is absolutely key to us as schools schools educative solutions um sets.org.uk is our, our sort of uh, url but we um we look to do early interventions you know this we're talking um you know that the key of it is to start in nurseries start educating parents and um you know all of those sort of caregivers around mental health conditions as Mm. early as possible before they start to manifest and grow and grow and you see it in primary and you know there may may be challenging behaviors or uh, you know as explained sort of the complete antithesis of that the opposite um you know sort of being seen um through you know that's that's kind of what's usually picked up is behaviors within within yeah. schools um and yeah it, it kind of escalates from there and then you find you know the 13 14 um you know non-school attending and um you know there's the self-harm at play yeah. it's, it's kind that, of got that, to a stage where what you mentioned early 
Yeah, indeed. What you mentioned about, I know Miss Kate Stem said, and I'm going to just build on this, she mentioned that mm. her school had trauma-informed practice focus over the last three academic years, and it's been revolutionary. That's a secondary school. But what you said about mm. primary, I think is crucial because you have, mm. you see, and I don't work in primary, I work in secondary, but I see the year sixes come into my school and I read the reports and I read the safeguarding logs and I read everything. And the kids, as what, the kids that demonstrate um, the more extreme or most challenging behaviors are dealt with surface level. So from what I gather, like the behavior is what's dealt with every time, reactionary. It's a behavior, oh, mm -hmm. they've done something, they've done something bad again. Let me do it, let me make sure we have the sanctions and their parents informed. As opposed mm -hmm. to, and I know you mentioned stuff around attachment and you mentioned stuff mm -hmm. around, um, of course, the, the kind of trauma-informed practice, which to me therefore says that in primary school, if you're seeing children, the outward displays of negative behavior often being caused by something by, by things that are way below the surface that were established maybe when they're in their kind of much more formative years of, I don't know, three, four, mm -hmm. even before that. And it takes, and, and it's so heartbreaking that it takes a kid, like you said, to self-harm in year 10 or year nine for us to say, oh, this is serious. Now let's call in the professionals and let's do the referrals. When mm -hmm. we've, we've seen that they've seen negative behaviors. I think it is just awareness and it is parents, what you meant, I was going to ask, and I know you're conscious of time, but I want to just, if we hone in on parents and what, to, what does your, so seps.org.uk, so for anyone that's listening, mm -hmm. School Educutic Solutions is seps.org.uk, what services are on offer in specific terms for, for example, parents and also staff to just upskill us all to better understand what we're encountering from primary school through to secondary school? What does your organisation offer? Mm, absolutely. I mean, just to just to firstly, before I sort of address what what SEPs can offer in terms of you know parents and, and staff, I'd say first of all that, that that you know the transition between primary and secondary is so key. I think a lot of information um, and support for children and young people can be lost in that year six to year seven transition. You know, from primary to secondary, when all of a sudden a child with SEMH needs, you know, social emotional mental health. Um, you know, may go from SEN support within primary school, uh, sort of big fish, small pond, into this scenario where there's all of a sudden a small fish in a big pond. And it's, um, you know, the intimidation um, and the anxiety caused by that will, can lead to fixed term exclusions, permanent mm. exclusions, and then, uh, you know, managed moves, et cetera, et cetera. We see that a lot. And schools, therefore, not accepting responsibility for supporting that child. Yeah. What can work, and I've seen work, is nurture groups. You know, a nurture group in place in a year seven setting where, uh, you know, children, young people with SEMH needs, you know, the nurture teacher or, you know, assistant there will, will look at the, the new cohort of year sevens joining and connect up with those primary schools and just, you know, send fire off an email just saying, are there any SEMH issues we need to be aware of? That can do so much in terms of, you know, building that bridge between year six and year seven um, and making sure that those those children, young people are, you know, eased into the practice of a huge, you know, 1500 strong secondary school where, you know, they're, they're watching 18 year olds wandering around and, and being like, oh, you know, I, I actually feel intimidated and, and overwhelmed with this social environment. I need mm. support that's a little bit more nurturing and supportive. And, and that's where, you know, nurture groups adapted, you know, from that sort of primary model can really help. But sorry, back to your original question, in terms of what we, you know, at seps.org.uk can, can do to support certainly um, staff we've we've had many clinical supervisors um on our books that uh, can go into schools 
and support staff. You know, this has been a huge issue through lockdown and through COVID is, you know, staff retention and, and staff sickness um, as a result of COVID or just the pressures, you know, that, that staff have been put under as a result of sort of COVID and, and adhering to COVID regulations and, um, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, they're ultimately as you know, as a, as a class teacher or, or form tutor responsible for 30 children's health and well-being and, and mortality. And that, that sort of pressure can, can um, really build, I think. So, you know, we've supplied clinical supervisors, um, you know, BACP accredited clinical supervisors um, for staff within schools who can support, um, you know, staff and, and look to um, not only discuss some of the social and emotional issues that staff are going through, but, but you know, use that as CPD time and use it productively to think about what structures are in place within the school to support staff and therefore like upskill schools to to ensure that they have the supporting measures to to, to sort of ensure that staff well-being and mental health is supported going forwards um, and with with parents i think a lot of the time it's um accessing those parents who perhaps feel school is again an intimidating place to be um maybe perhaps because of their own school experiences it's, it's difficult for them to, to sort of sometimes cross the threshold and, and set foot um in school again so we look to sort of lower lower the barriers and um you know um sort of demystify the the, the whole um, prospect of of sort of teaching uh, talking to to teachers and staff as a parent um so with things like coffee mornings or you know um sort of within school activities that aren't intimidating that don't focus on the child or their behavior or what they've done wrong or you know detentions or being on report any of these negative feedbacks that a lot of parents have often received but just sitting and talking with staff about, um, you know, their experiences in school, how they feel now over a very casual sort of coffee morning can really start to, um, you know, sort of, you know, break down those those barriers that have existed before. And and so we've, we've run um, sort of, you know, staff support, um, sorry, parent support groups with, um, you know, pastoral members of, of the school, um, sometimes supported by an educational psychologist as well that's part of our team. Um, and we have sort of ex, ex, ex cams and e-wounds workers, um, our professionals as part of our, our team as well, that are there to, to sort of, uh, again, build a bridge and build a bond between parents and, and staff within schools so that there's a harmony and there's a, a unification really that happens between, um, you know, parents and staff that allows for communication to flow about a child or young person and, and, and improves ultimately outcomes. Um, uh. Impact and outcomes is key for us as as um, as a company. You know, we really want to work with schools to improve impact, improve performance and improve outcomes because ultimately that's often what schools are judged upon. But yeah. putting in the right kind of foundations in terms of mental health and well-being first as a, as a building block towards that. Um, and looking at it as a whole school, whole school prospect, a whole th- whole school ethos, essentially. Um, right. So then, what we're focused on. No, I appreciate that, Ben. So then, just to just to kind of probe a little bit. Um, so from what you were saying, so a lot for the first bit was around supporting staff with their own um, mental health and mental health well-being. And again, when you spoke about the parents, there was that element of first of all, parents can harbour a lot of ill feeling towards schools and everything else which in Mm. turn can have a negative impact on their child but do you does your organization also kind of teach parents 
about how to deal with their young person who may be experiencing mental health issues? Do you do that as well? And what about with staff? Do you train staff as well to say, right, this is real. This is what self harm is actually about, and this is the the mechanism, like the kind of the reasons why people self harm. For example, this is the this is how you deal with it in the house, and this is well, I say deal with it. The the do's and the don'ts. Does your organisation go down that route as well with the parents and the and staff as well? Absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head, Khalil. Yeah, we we look to, to sort of, you know, uh, it's like a three pronged approach, really, um, you know, supporting children and young people um, directly. Um, a lot of the time, you know, through through sort of, you know, assembly training or year group training or um, where we can sort of deconstruct some uh, well-being and mental health issues so that it's um, uh, differentiated and made made simpler and so uh, you know children and can connect to the reasons perhaps why they're feeling angry or sad or confused or frustrated within school um, but we also look you know the other two prongs would be to support staff um, you know with understanding mental health issues and well-being helping staff feel that it's not just another um, sort of you know thing that they've been asked to, to do uh, as well as DSL as well as you know assistant head teacher as well as being a math teacher as I think yourself yourself is you know all of these sort of hats that a, a, a sort of staff member has to wear it's kind of thinking about it as um, you know a means of practice um, and a, a way of an ethos of, of presenting yourself as a, as a sort of a teacher and a practitioner within school. Um, but that third prong as well, yes, yeah, supporting parents, absolutely, you know, um, you know breaking down um, some of the barriers and demystifying sort of the ideas of mental health and well-being, which I think, you know, COVID and the lockdown has actually had a positive effect in terms of getting mental health and well-being out into the mainstream, um, you know, helping um, you know, helping it become less of a taboo. I think there is still an element of of sort of um, uh, sort of taboo nature about mental health, but it, I think it's you know slowly, slowly becoming um, something we can discuss on a regular basis, on a, a sort of a daily basis. As you know, how are you? It is not just how are you anymore. It's act- how actually are you? Mm-hmm. Um, we've all been through sort of difficult times through through COVID and through lockdown um, for various different reasons, you know, family members, extended family, and thinking really beyond our own, um, you know, it's very easy in our society now, I think, to, to think about our own health and well-being and protecting ourselves, but also thinking how do our actions um, impact on others? Um, and that sort of idea of societal um, sort of responsibility and accountability. And I think that is something that, um, you know, certainly helps us as an organization to connect with with parents and make sure that parents are um you know feeling comfortable and safe again it's it's all part of the trauma-informed practice um you know helping parents feel safe and secure and comfortable when they come into school um you know the schools that when i certainly do when as a as a professional i go in i say you know perhaps a 5 10 15 minutes late I'm, i arrive you know dive into the car park dive into the you know the, the front doors say oh yeah i'm here to see the same kind like it's all right. Absolutely fine. I've called the Senko. No problem. If you want to take a seat, do, would you like a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? Those kind of connections and, um, you know, ability to, to just breathe out. And, um, you know, I think that is a, almost a nice starting block, starting point for schools that can be um, thinking about, um, you know, teaching children, young people and parents in a trauma informed way um, mm. is, you know, thinking essentially, you know, 
you're here, you've, you've made it to, to support us. Um, you know, we appreciate you being here. We understand that, um, you know, there have been some barriers in the way of you, you being able to get here. Um, so, you know, take a seat and, um, you know, take a drink. It's all is, all is well. No, definitely. I think what I'm, what I'm noticing in my role is, is with the, the parent, I think you've got parents who, they can be, there's like different, you've got different types. You've got the parent that wants to really, wants to help so much that they can sometimes be overbearing on their on their child because they they mm. get really concerned. Like, because as far as they're concerned, I think whenever, whenever I have to maybe inform a parent about um, finding out maybe about self-harm, I'll get, I get the, a spectrum of, of responses from, from parents. Some are quite, um, they kind of, very calm and say right okay and they kind of understand that now what we need what we need to not do is go hell for leather at the child and think right how can we help how can we help how can we help let's do this this." Mm. because that's not good that's not going to work either on the other end of the spectrum um you've got parents that do react like that and it's just in an ideal world there'll just be a way to sit all parents down and just talk to them um about what everything means because i feel like they grew up I say they, they're, they're probably just a few years, they're like a generation, not generation, 10, 20 years about older than me. They definitely grew up in a time and there wasn't much um, awareness out there. There wasn't much, it wasn't spoken about as much. You mentioned taboo and it was a bit of a taboo. Mental health was a taboo. People just kind of, anyone that was, was suffering from depression or low mood was kind of, everyone just didn't really know what to do or say, didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I feel like our young people's parents grew up in that um, era and now that their young people are experiencing things they just don't know what they just don't know how to act and I feel like so many of them are lost they come to us as schools and they're asking me and I'm saying well I can give you advice I'm trained ish but I'm nowhere near a professional and it's just knowing where else to signpost them so that they can get more advice from someone who is a professional I just learned I've obviously done a bit a few more courses than the average teacher and learn on the job and blah 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 but it's just if you're if you're one organization where we can like I don't know signpost parents or you can get involved or other schools if you're listening, um, I believe you're an organization that wants to get involved to support parents who just want to learn more and understand more because they were never taught these things in school. They were never taught about mental mm-hmm. health in school, and now they've got kids experiencing it. So I'm not surprised they're at a loss, and it's tough being in schools when all parents just come back to us as we must be the font of all knowledge because we're the school. And we say, well, have you spoken to the GP? And they're saying, oh, yeah, the GP. Didn't think about speaking to the GP. And I'm saying, yeah, well, it's health. And it's stuff like that. I'm just thinking, where is what's missing here to really get these parents to understand? I don't know if it's organizations like yours getting more involved. I don't know if it's if schools need to do more. I just don't know. I'm just trying to think, what, mm. what would your advice be to a school? Like, if you could narrow down some advice for a school who's got – mental health on the rise but parents that are but there's like an asymmetry of information where parents are not very clued on and don't really know what's going on and they lack the understanding what would your advice be to schools in that situation about how best to to tackle it well without using it as a glorious opportunity for self-promotion <laughs> i would say you know do do please visit our website um i think uh, you know www.seps.org.uk um with schools educutic solutions and we provide exactly that you know educutic so educationally therapeutic solutions to schools um that in- involves a whole school approach it can involve a whole school approach we can do sort of individual bits as well like you know we've been supporting a secondary school in essex um with counseling services so um a sort of um 
a CAMS accredited BACP counsellor has been uh, available to for children and young people within uh, the, the school structure. We've had a clinical supervisor supporting staff. We've had a speech and language therapist supporting, um, you know, speech and language difficulties, which obviously can um, sort of be masked as social, emotional, mental health difficulties. Um, as I mentioned sort of earlier, it's, um, you know, very easy for, um, you know, the surface level behaviours to be uh, recognised and, and what, what a child is presenting with to be um, to be understood as the issue. But actually, if you unpick it, then there may be more under the surface and, and speech language communication difficulties is one of those possibilities. Um, mm. So, so yeah, sorry, Tim, okay. go, go on, go on, go on, go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please do. Uh, no, I was, I was no, going to say because I know I'm conscious. I'm conscious of time, um, so just mm -hmm. just like speak thinking logistically. So I'm just thinking as a a school, maybe a school teacher or one somebody who works in a school listening to this um, as a podcast. So logistically speaking, is your organisation one where a school, I don't know, signs up, pays whatever the the fee is, and then you kind of immerse yourself in the school, and then do you? Do, you, do the school then kind of do you work with the school to say right what are your needs what and then it's like a package or is it the schools sign up for specific mm -hmm. the schools sign up for specific uh sessions how does it work logistically from a school's perspective if they want if the school is listening and saying you know what sep sounds like something that we want to get involved in what does it look like logistically on a kind mm. of day-to-day -day basis absolutely so i think it's uh it's, it's pertinent to say at this point we offer cost-effective evidence-based interventions so that those two those two sort of areas are are key to highlight that schools you know budgets are extremely tight and we fully understand that so we want to as you say integrate and ingratiate ourselves within the school culture um, and become a very easy and very effective um, you know referral route that has an impact on uh, outcomes ultimately you know the outcomes for, for the child not just social emotional and mental health but those sort of performance outcomes as well so um, it can work in terms of as you say kind of a package um, we had that that package I just explained where you had a you know counselor clinical supervisor speech and language therapist all working within the school um, around a we, we've actually designed um, within the school a uh, sort of Google based referral system that makes it very easy for any teacher really but within this school it was a sort of heads of house um, and assistant heads of house to refer a child or young person that they were concerned about um, to a central spreadsheet automatically populated and then one of our members of staff will look at that spreadsheet and we call it a triage process so we're starting to bring sort of a bit more medicalized um, language and processes within school the school setup so we'd have a triage system where they would either refer the child to speech and language refer them for counseling refer them uh, for sort of small group support um, or if, if necessary if it looked quite a complex case then refer to uh, organizations such as cams um, you know mind um, uh, Young Minds as well is another very good sort of website for information and resources that's all evidence-based around mental health and well-being. Um, so we'd have that package set up. Um, conversely, we can also do sort of, you know, smaller aspects. We had a school um, in, in Colchester come to us and just ask for they needed counselling support. So we were able to buy, provide a BACP accredited, accredited counsellor um, within there that, you know, within a matter of sort of two or three weeks. Um, that is there available for, I think it was more sort of year 12 and year 13 support that they wanted within 
um, that particular school. So it kind of can be bespoke and tailored to the, um, the SEN needs or the SEMH needs of that particular school. That's really what I, as director, want to make sure that we are is, um, you know, responsive um, and, uh, you know, tailored geared towards a specific school's requirements rather than trying to do a one size fits all you know square peg round hole um sort of support um aspect so yeah we're, we're absolutely uh we, we kind of pride ourselves on being flexible and adaptable to um a school's school's sen needs yeah that's no it sounds i'm just listening thinking right i need to talk to my principal <laughs> but it's um <laughs> it sounds it sounds very it sounds like you're kind of like a prof- you can you're like a professional well not like a middle I want to say a middleman sometimes professional middleman essentially because schools need because at the moment all we do in not all we do but a lot of the time what we're doing in school is we say ah oh, cams referral and then there's mm-hmm. no and then cams either say yes or no and if it's a no they bounce it back to us and now we need to deal with it and we're not as well equipped so we're saying but what you guys mm. seem to be able to do is be a bridge sometimes and say right well you've got some spe- you've got some potential SEMH um, case at the moment let us know what they are or pretend and then we can you can offer some either in-house solutions or if it is more if it does require something maybe more escalated then you can do that as well and then s- schools can kind of bounce off you and work with you to then not if cams doesn't work out because I've met the threshold, then we've definitely got um, seps as well as a kind of professional middleman. I, I want to just kind of say, but what I need to do before I get people in my ear telling me to do so, um, we need to run the news, and I also need to hear from our sponsors. I know I've kept you, Ben, longer than the, the time mm-hmm. that you you asked to keep asked to stay on. I don't think it's because you felt forced. I don't know, <laughs> but it's it's been. Mm-hmm. I just want you. I just want you on here because it's. It's been a very productive conversation, especially for me, selfishly in my role, but also for anyone else listening. So before I go to news, I did have a question from Miss Cato Stem. Miss Cato Stem is asking, geographically speaking, what areas do SEPs cover? Um, yeah, geographically speaking, for just a minute. Absolutely, we are nationwide. So. Um... I mean, typically and recently, we've worked across Essex. I mean, that's been our sort of core base because um, my co-director and I live, um, I live in Hertfordshire and he lives in Malden in Essex. So that's been our sort of focus point has been across Essex. But we're now expanding to to start work in Hertfordshire, in, um, you know, hoping to work in Suffolk very soon as well. So, you know, as in terms of where we sort of offer support, I would say uh, nationally, but also actually um, we've had some inquiries from international um areas such as um australia uh, there's been a school in australia that have have been interested and some british um some british schools in qatar and abu dhabi as well have been really interested in in what we're doing in terms of mental health and well-being support so um you know i wouldn't want to sort of restrict it to a particular sort of geographical area i'd say if you're if you're interested in um in us coming in and um you know finding out more essentially we we want to do that i wanted to sort of use my my ep my educational psychology hat and skills and, and understand what the needs are within the school first of all to have that conversation with senior leadership teams and um with dsls like yourself keller to, to understand exactly what the need is and therefore i can go back to my co-director and our, our staff and, and say okay right we need a clinical supervisor with staff we need some um you know a, a counselor who's specifically trained in cbt you know cognitive behavioral therapy to support a particular need within years seven and eight within this school, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we can really start to be niche and be tailored to what the school's requirements are. And as you say, yeah, we can be that, um, that almost uh, filter 
and um, you know accredited professional filter for for um, referrals that would go to CAMS and, and bounce back. Well, ideally they wouldn't bounce back because any referral that's going to CAMS would be appropriate if our if our systems were in place. There wouldn't be that sort of slow um, so slow process of, of a child or young person receiving support or wasted administration time for mm-hmm. a teacher who's running out of CAMS referral that, that, that then bounces back and it's inappropriate. So you're almost, you're, it's a kind of uh, an exercise in efficiency that ultimately has an impact on outcomes and performance within the school because, you know, we know senior leadership teams and heads are interested in, in that as an outcome and that's what we want to have an impact on. And so we are, we're able to... Um, you know, assess the, the whole journey of a child or young person being referred to SEPS to make sure that there is quantifiable, um, qualitative and quantitative data that, that supports, um, you know, the, the, the sort of SEPS journey that that child or young person's been on to ensure that, um, you know, the school are getting bang for their buck because ultimately that's what it's about and we understand that. Indeed. Ben, listen, um, it's or Doc. Let me let me put again, like let me say, let me put some respect on the name. <laughs> Dr. Hibbert. <laughs> ben, thank you. Thank you very I know you've got you've taken time out of daddy duties essentially. So I very much appreciate um you coming on to Teach Talk Radio to talk through us. So just to clarify, if you just tuned in, um please do listen back. So we've got a few bit more of the show, but I'm gonna let Ben go. Um but Ben is a director of schools Educutic Solutions. And if you want to find out more about schools Educutic Solutions, you can either head to SEPS, so seps.org.uk, and or you can find them on Twitter and your Twitter, what's it remind me of the Twitter? I think it's SEPS Limited, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, SEP- SEPS LTD. Yeah. Perfect. So if you do, if you're listening and you've got, and that's something that you think your school definitely benefit from, I know mine and other schools I work with, this is an area that we're really thinking about how to tackle. Um, please do look into, into that. And Ben, thank you. An abundance. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your words of wisdom with us and the listeners. Very much appreciated. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Khalil. And I hope um, I've been able to provide some kind of uh, substance and, and insight for your for your listeners as well. So um, thanks so much for everyone for for tuning in, and uh, wish you all the very best. Thank you very much, Ben. All the best. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Take care. You bye too. Bye. Thanks again, Khalil. All the best. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye bye. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In a Unison press release issued on their website, union leaders celebrate the inclusion of all education staff in the new Department for Education Wellbeing Charter. The relaunch charter issued this week now includes support staff, following union pressure for it to be more inclusive. Previous incarnations of the Charter focused entirely on teachers and school leaders, but left out almost 50% of school staff, including teaching assistants, caretakers and catering staff. Unison recognised the move to include all union staff as a positive one, and Lee Powell, Unison's National Officer for Schools, said we look forward to working with schools and colleges to promote the mental well-being of all staff. In Scotland, plans to help reduce teacher workload by reducing teachers' weekly class contact time by 90 minutes have been described as challenging by Scottish Education Secretary Shirley-Ann Somerville. Ms Somerville said in a report on the TES website that she can't give a definite timescale, although she promised that it would still happen. 
The plan to reduce contact time by an hour and a half a week was one of the most eye-catching promises made in the SNP manifesto for parliamentary elections in May. According to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, contact time is disproportionately high in Scotland and is a major cause for concern for teachers and school leaders. Workload increases caused by a range of factors associated with the pandemic are also featured in a piece on the TES website. An article by James O'Malley highlights the issues schools face in recruiting supply teachers to cover for absent staff. The article cites Department for Education data for early November, which showed that 2.1% of teachers and school leaders were absent for COVID-related reasons. The article also highlights that with winter approaching, other seasonal illnesses are also causing absence. Schools are increasingly finding the usual pool of supply teachers is not as deep as it once was, and that the cost of supply is not something schools can now easily afford. Solutions which many schools are having to put in place to manage staffing shortages include combining classes, having senior leaders take lessons, and drawing up plans that could see entire year groups being sent home in an emergency situation. Undoubtedly, the situation is challenging and is yet another contributing factor in the increasing stresses and pressures faced by school leaders and those working in schools. Finally, Lincolnshire Live reports that in a bid to promote well-being, the University of Lincoln held a dog de-stress event on Wednesday. The event was organised by Lucy Robertson, a third-year medical student for the Medical Society. And the feedback included comments that the therapy of petting dogs seems to have worked. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. It would have been useful if I put my mic off mute before starting speaking. Well, well, well. If you're still with me and you've been listening to most of the show, uh, thank you very much for sticking with me. If you've just tuned in, you've missed a lot. You just, Hello, Robert. Hello, Robert. They've got two listeners from Rwanda, actually. Someone else from Rwanda. We've got someone called M-U-C-Y-O-B-8. So don't fast a random number of random assortment of letters and numbers. But we've got a couple of people from Rwanda. Podbean's big in Rwanda, by the sounds of it. Um, but if you've just tuned in or you've listening back or something else, you would have just heard um, Dr. Ben Hibbard. And isn't I did think this. Isn't, isn't Dr. Hibbard the, the name of the guy from Simpsons as well? Is that Dr. Hibbard or Hibbert? Someone help me out. I do wonder. I did think that. When it goes, <laughs>, laughs like that. That's an awful impression, by the way. But I feel like it's Dr. Hibbert or Hibbert or something along those lines. Either way, I was joined by Dr. Ben Hibbert, who is the director of schools, Educutic Solutions. and it definitely sounds like something in my role we would need more well, needs the wrong word massively benefit from because i don't know how don't know about you guys i don't know who's listening who does work in the kind of mental health 
sector-ish in schools, but it's a lot of send it off, bounces back, um, send it off, bounces back, and then you're left with, right, what can we do? We've got my school in particular, we've got no one that's, like I said, we've got no one who's professionally trained in-house. We've got people who we assign as mentors who are just kind of, not just, but who are teachers or teaching assistants who create a safe space for young people who we know are maybe child protection, child in need with suicidal ideation or self-harm or different things, a whole a, a whole mixing mixing pot, melting pot of different issues that we try to do as best as possible in schools. But you always feel like you're just doing them a dis, just doing them a disservice. But CAMs are saying, sorry, that's not it's not our bag. We haven't got enough, then haven't met our threshold. And you're just kind of stuck and you just do as best as you can. But worst case scenario, if something goes wrong, you're thinking, right, could we have done more? Could we have done more? Could we have done more? Um, and SEPs or Schools Educatic Solutions definitely seems like the kind of organization that can be it, like I think what Ben called it, a filter in between that you can say, right, well, maybe they're not on the CAMS threshold, but we've got people in school that would really benefit from, yes, cognitive behavioral therapy, or maybe they do need some counseling, but it's very niche counseling and CAMS aren't, CAMS aren't doing it, but can you help? And maybe we need staff that need some upskilling because maybe you've got some staff who've, who harbor some, um, some narrow-minded views about mental health and need to have their need to have their eyes widened. Essentially, who knows? But I feel like that organization um, does seem. I know don't, I imagine there are others out there, um, but that do, does seem like one who's trying to bridge the gap. Um, so do go check them out um, if that is interest. If it is of interest to you, and so we said, I've got a great memory. I don't know if you're talking about Simpsons, but going like Simpsons isn't still around. Simpsons is still around, you know. I think it is Doctor Hibbert, 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 something. The guy in Simpsons. Yeah, Simpsons was on yesterday. I watched, I literally watched The Simpsons yesterday. So I wouldn't call it a great memory. <laughs> I feel like it's it's ever present, Simpsons. It's never going to go away, a bit like Friends. But I also feel like they're actually making new Simpsons episodes. There are so many Simpsons episodes I'm seeing that I never saw before, and it looks a bit HD. So I'm, I'm wondering if they're making new Simpsons episodes as well, because some of the issues being spoken about seem far too modern. I just thought they'd stopped but maybe they're making new ones. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, for the last little bit, you know me, I'm just more like to just have a bit of a spiel and a bit of a random, random rant. But um, what I'm going to speak about next week, I think, because I've still got my last week's show that I was supposed to be about heads of year and I couldn't find my headphones. Don't know how many of you follow me on Twitter, cheeky plug at Khalil underscore R91. Um, I was in a rant on Twitter about my headphones. I couldn't find headphones last week. Um, and then that meant I had to cancel my show because without headphones, you can't do this. All the while, by the way, all the while, I had headphones that I use for my gaming. Yes, I game. I'm an old, I'm a, I'm an old man, but I game still. I have gaming headphones, and I could have just used those the whole time. But I was trying to find my little Bluetooth fancy ones. I couldn't find them, and then canceled the whole show. And now I need to get my guests back on. I had two people scheduled, three potentially scheduled to come on last week to talk about head of year stuff. So I need to get them back on. So I'm either going to be talking about that next week, but I also, I noticed, I think it was a um, shout out to Miss McIntosh. She's not actually in the studio, but does listen quite regularly. She was asking about pastoral CPD. And I've got a vision for my Teach Talk radio show to become a form of pastoral CPD. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I feel like every now and again, or maybe if it's a fortnightly basis, I'll just do some pastoral CPD give advice to staff about how to deal with pastoral issues, not academic issues, pastoral issues. And I feel like that's a bit of a niche I'm able to manoeuvre my way into because that's my area of expertise. Like, I listen, I've taught for ages 
and I know about teaching and pedagogy and blah, 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 blah. But I'm a, my, I've always been more interested in the pastoral world. And I'm also very interested. I always observe in like previous schools and whatever else, I've always observed teachers dealing with situations in a way that just inflames a situation. And I think to myself, is that because you just don't know how to deal with it? Or are you just a bad person? <laughs> but more often than not, I feel like it's, there's never been explicitly taught, I think, how to deal with a situation that, um, that de-escalates rather than escalates for example. And it's something that I know comes more naturally to some, but there are teachers, um, I know for certain there are teachers in school for whom dealing with more high level behavioral issues in a kind of tactful way does not come naturally. Instead, they go fire with fire and the whole place burn up. Sorry to excuse the pattern that the whole place burns up, figuratively speaking, because they meet fire with fire. And I just look at it going, have you just been taught? Have you been taught? Maybe I've been taught. So maybe that's what I can come in. So maybe my teacher taught radio Sunday lunch show can become a bit of a, a pastoral CPD focus where I can just advise teachers on what's worked best for me and also professionals I've worked with previously um, who have got, who just built up good relationships and understand how to deal with certain situations in a way that will calm the student down rather than make it worse. Things like reconciliations with staff and students. I have seen in previous schools, especially some really poor reconciliations between staff and students. And I've sat there and I've had to kind of end it prematurely because I'm saying this is just not working. The teacher is on their high horse. If you're going to go and sit down in a reconciliation with a pupil because something's gone wrong in your lesson and you're going to arrive to that meeting on your high horse and never get down from it, there's no point having the conversation. But is that because people just aren't teaching it? And if that's the case, maybe I can step in. Da, 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 and maybe I can step in and provide some guidance because it's something that's missing in my experience of being in the, in the profession. We don't do enough about, right, this is how you deal with these. These are some tricks. It won't, it's not one size fits all, but here are some tricks. The little subtle one about giving students choices rather than telling them what to do. And when I say choices, I mean, telling them that they can either do this or do this. If you do this, then this will be the outcome. If you do this, this will be the outcome. And giving them that autonomy is a much better way of dealing with behavior than saying, you must do as I say. Because in the grand scheme, they don't have to do what you say. They don't have to, they don't have to at all. No one has to, but if they don't, there are consequences. So just be really, just being honest and calm and talking through that instead of saying, leave the classroom now. And the kid goes, no. And then you're left, and then you're left with, um, do it because I said so, and that's just nonsense, absolute nonsense. As opposed to, listen, you can either leave the classroom now, and we'll speak outside, away from everyone else, and we can actually have a conversation, or you can stay in the classroom, refuse to follow my instruction, and then what I'll do is I'll call for on call, whatever it's called, and then your like is get more severe consequences. Those are your two options. Make a decision. That is a much better way of dealing with negative behavior in a classroom than saying, do as I say, because I said so, or else, nonsense. But I feel like that's something that is missing. Who knows? I'm talking to myself right now. If you think, if you're listening and you think, yeah, 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 Khalil, that sounds like a good idea. Give me some feedback. If you think, you know what, Khalil, find another avenue, then let me know as well. But that's what I feel like going down a path. Also, and this is, this is kind of a bit of a monologue as always, I'm also thinking about doing a bit of guidance on how to actually build positive relationships with students. Um, and I say this because it's always something, I, and I have a lot of tweets saved in my phone as drafts that I need to just 
pepper onto the Twitter sphere about how to actually form positive relationships with students. Because again, I feel like it's something that comes naturally to some teachers. Other teachers is not even they're in, they're not even interested in doing it, and others try but don't really know what to do. And maybe there's again a gap to actually teach adults how to do it, or not just how to do it, but give ideas and tips and guidance about how best to try and do it. Because positive relationships with pupils is number one, number one way to have a great culture in your classroom of behavior to start with, and also to have kids engaged. If they don't like you, they're not going to try, not going to learn from you very well. If they don't like you. And I know our job is not to be liked. I get it. Of course, our job is not to be liked. But you know, you know, sure well, if the kids inverted commas like you, they are more likely to listen to you and pay attention. That's that. that I don't I haven't done any kind of educational academic research, but I'm willing to say that's pretty much a fact. Um, and teach that say we're not there to be liked. Yes, of course, whatever, whatever, whatever. But we know as adults you listen more to someone that you have respect for. And even more so, if you like them as a person, you like what they stand for, you're more likely to listen and learn from them. So I guess there's a bit around that that I also want to get my teeth into and everything else. Oh, Sobia is now throwing some questions out to me. And I like this. Sobia is challenging me. Sobia asked one question. Sobia said, what if you have several high tariff students in the same class? Um, it's a good question. And my first question is, um, why is that the case? Uh, there's, there's, there's so much context to this. Is it that kind of situation where it's the inverted commas bottom set where, and they have that, they've got that, um, because when, or is it a situation where you just happen to have a mixed ability class with loads of kids with, with behavioral issues? I, I'm of the opinion, and I think what works really well is I, I always believe that kids want to do well and kids want to behave. They want to. If you don't feel like a kid wants to do well and they actually they're like innately just don't want to learn and they want to just mess up your lesson, then you're always going to approach it from a negative. So I always start by I convince myself from when I start teaching that all students want to do well and they want to get in and do well and be praised and behave inverted commas, behave well. They want to. Some just find it more difficult. So then you have to hook in. You need to get to know the kids. And when I say get to know, I need to, you need to get to know what makes them tick. For a lot of students that I've worked in, pace and engagement and competition makes them tick. Um, and I, when I had, a, when in the previous school, I had a class that had, did have a few challenging pupils, which when I said challenging, they weren't ever rude to me ever. It wasn't rudeness. They were just very vibrant. They wanted to chat. They wanted to turn around. They were busy, blah, blah, blah. And I just hooked into what made them tick. And I'm not saying I got them to be silent. I didn't want them to be silent. Why would I want them to be silent? That's a, that's a very boring classroom for me. But what I did do was get them involved in the question and, and praise. When, I, when they give me the, a right, right in the beginning, when it's a nice, easy question, right at the beginning, asking them, they give me the answer, praise, 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 excellent, well done, next one, stay focused, next one. I might ask you in a moment. And then they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like her, I like her. But that's because I'm just hooking into what gets them going and making them tick. Every student, in my belief, has something that will make them tick. I don't believe in innately naughty kids. Some just need more support. Um, and I think one thing, and that's that's one way, um, but then also you need to hone into, of course, talk to parents, everything else. You've got to close that loop on parents. But um, the most, yeah, that that's so high parents students in one class, it becomes difficult, but I don't, I would never try to set the class up in a way 
that just is a recipe for disaster. What I mean by that is start setting boundaries such as you must work in absolute silence with when I know that's more difficult for some students. Um, because then it's either going to end up being not silent and I'm not going to be a, a person of my word or I'm going to be enforcing silence. And really, do I want it to be silent? No, not really. So I guess I just, my expectations change. They don't lower, they just change. So then um, that's one thing when I had a group of high tariff students, um, I never tried to say right now everyone's silent because that's difficult, man. Who likes, no adults like to work in silence. We like to talk as well. Um, but yeah, I guess getting to know the kids, getting to what makes them tick is, is the first thing. Before You can't behave your manager if you don't know what makes them tick. You can't just tell them to do things for doing sake if you don't know what makes them tick, what gets them going, what are they interested in? What's their purpose in school? Take, go into all of that. Um, so then what's this? Question, do you think heads of year should be friends with students? No, 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 no. Friendly, yes, friends, no. Um, I would say define friends because I don't know what, if a head of year is a friend to a student, what does that look like? I don't know what that would look like. What, just pally pally, what, meeting up for drinks? I, what, I don't know what you mean by friends. Friendly, yes. I have a very mixed, my, I've always been warm, strict, always. I'll be cracking jokes in the courtyard with one group and then 10 seconds later, that same group, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, will be getting told off. That same, so I have a definite balance of warm, strict, but no, I'm not friends with students, no. Definitely friendly, jovial, pally at times when it's appropriate, when it's not a kind of rigorous academic setting and in the court, the playground or the courtyard. But also one thing that I think some teachers don't, some teachers shy away from or feel uncomfortable doing is having a laugh in a lesson. And I'm not saying for the entirety of a lesson for 30, 40 minutes, cracking jokes, no. But some teachers don't want to laugh. Like they don't want to laugh. A kid says something funny and the kids and the teachers there with their stern face try not to laugh when the whole class is in stitches. When it's actually funny, laugh if it's funny, show them you're human. And then, and then be transparent and say, right, guys, that was funny. I know we need to now recompose. Is anyone, right, so-and-so, take some time outside. You need to compose yourself because you're still cracking up. Take some time outside when you're focused. Let's get going because we still got learning to do. But yeah, I admit, that was funny. Let's get going. That's the approach. Rather than, I've seen so many kids get in trouble for laughing because the teacher's telling them to stop laughing. The kid's still cracking up. The teacher's saying, you've got to stop laughing. I know as a kid, I would laugh more if someone was telling me to stop laughing. So why am I telling the kids to stop laughing? Get them, get them out of the classroom for a little bit. Take some time out, if it's one. If it's two or three, eventually they will stop laughing, but let it simmer down rather than going, stop laughing, that kind of nonsense. It's because that just becomes more amusing. But I guess it's, it's something that comes with the confidence and the experience of knowing you can get a class back on track. Um, but utilizing humor in your own lesson, again, will bring kids on site and it'll make teaching the stuff that's maybe less inverted commas fun easier because they remember, oh, sirs, yes, sir, or madam or miss, whatever. Um, it's just a normal person. And they laugh with us, but also they tell us now it's time to get serious. And I really like to be transparent with kids about all that kind of stuff rather than, um, I like to narrate everything. Um, right, we had a laugh. Now let's get focused because of X, Y, Z. Everyone wants to learn. You learn in this classroom. Let's get going. That kind of idea. Um, oh, we've got someone from the, wet, from the West Midlands. Hello, Dale. We've got Dale Butner. Hello, hello. Listen from the West Midlands. Nice view. Oh, there we go. Thank you very much. I appreciate the, for, for um, um, your agreement with that. I guess, but you don't ever hear that in teacher training. Do you know what I mean? When do you, when, I don't remember being mentored or whatever you want to call it in, in teacher training earlier on. And they were saying, oh, do you know what? Have a laugh with your kids sometimes. 
They'll never, they'll never, they never, they never say that. But why not? And you've just said, though, you just said, you've just joined. I was talking, it's all about building relationships. So I'm going to make a show about building relationships. And showing that you're human is the first way to build a relationship. You cannot have kids walk in day one and just expect them, um, all of them, expect all of them to just be on side straight away and buy in straight away. Adults don't buy in straight away. Why would a kid buy in straight away? And I guess, yeah, time to time, there's a time and a place for it. I'm not saying make every lesson a joke, because if every lesson's a joke, they don't take you seriously. But showing that you are a human and you find things funny, and just because a kid says it doesn't mean it's not, doesn't mean it's funny kind of nonsense. I have too many staff, because a kid said it, they don't want to laugh and be seen to be laughing at something the kids said. Nonsense, unless it's completely inappropriate, of course. Um, and then, yeah, so that's one thing. I know, what else I want to talk about? This is all for another show. This is all for another show, because I do want to get into, I'm very passionate about building relationships with students and being and allowing staff um, or teaching staff how to do it because they wouldn't have been taught it in their training year. And then they're just there robotic at the front of the classroom wondering why the, the lessons aren't going so well. And I guess I just want to challenge them and say, when's the last time you laughed through the class? Just asking, just wondering. When's the last time you actually went and spoke to some people outside of the classroom about things not to do with your subject? Yeah. When's the last time you had a spare five minutes at the end of the lesson because you covered all the necessary content and rather than forcing them to do something mundane for five minutes that was pointless, why not just have a little organized discussion about something that's a bit more relevant to their day to day life and talk about that instead when you've got a spare five minutes. For example, different things like that, which comes naturally to some, but not to others. And I guess it's empowering them to have the confidence to do that. And they'll thank us or thank me later and thank whoever else later when they've got kids more on side, when they're trying to say, right, now we've got to do the independent silent work because we've got to graph now. 20 minutes, off you go. They'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah let's go. That happens. Um, but it needs to be taught, I think. It needs to be taught. Um, but Dale, thank you for joining. I don't know if this is your first time, Dale. I don't recognize your username. If this is the first time, my name is Khalil. There's no H in my name. Just be really picky. <laughs> There's no H in my name. But this is Teacher Talk Radio. We're coming to an end now of the Sunday lunch show. Um, I'm on every single week. Well, I try to be on every single week if there's no technical hitches. Um, and there are loads of other Teacher Talk Radio shows. There's a plethora. Uh, Dr. Harin Otieno is on after me at three o'clock. And she's talking about the, the curriculum and pedagogy and teaching in Africa. And then the Sunday team, Graham Collin was before me. Sobia was in the morning. And there's just so many, too many to name. If you are interested in finding more about Teachers Talk Radio, you can head to either ttradio.org or you can follow us on Twitter at ttradio.2021. TT Radio I do wonder if we're going to change our at when it gets to 2022. I think Tom Rogers had a very narrow mind when he called us 2021. Maybe he didn't think it would last for more than a year. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so that's TT Radio at TT Radio 2021. If you want to follow me specifically because you think he sounds like a guy that knows his stuff, then you can find me on Twitter at Khalil, K-A-L-I-L underscore R91. And I'm going to get more into building positive relationships, head of year, pastoral stuff in the coming weeks. Um, I don't know what Sobi was thinking. So what were you thinking? Remind me, Sobi. You just said I was thinking that too. Uh, not sure what you meant. Oh, 2021. Yeah, listen, I did wonder. Who knows? It's probably going to be TT Radio 2022. And then when we're old and grey, TT, TD Radio 40 something. Who knows? But yeah, it's always a pleasure, never a chore to be on the airwaves. 
Um, I'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can listen back. I'll be posting all the links and everything on my Twitter. You'll see how to listen back. Step, yeah, that's the established 2021, exactly. Um, yeah, cheers, guys. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're out of there.